Good morning. My name is Terry Plath. I am uh, one of the elders here at Christ Redeemer Church. And uh, we have six elders at Christ Redeemer, three of whom are full-time pastor elders, and three of us are what we would call non-vocational elders. So this is a a part-time job for us. So by day, I work in the high-tech industry, and by nights and weekends, I get to serve in in this capacity as an elder or an overseer uh, here at Christ Redeemer. Part of that includes, from time to time, getting a chance to preach. And so I'm thankful for this opportunity to preach God's Word to you this morning. Uh, I want to wish uh, a happy Father's Day to everybody here. Uh, My own father is here this morning, and uh, I just want to say I love you, Dad. He's had a profound impact on my life, and so it's a blessing to be able to preach on Father's Day and have my dad here. Uh, My message to you this morning is first and foremost to the men in the church, but it's also, I think, an important message to everybody here. Uh, women and children included, to any of us who profess God as, as, as our King. But before we get started, let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, your word is truth. It is the only truth that we can rely on in a world that is ever shifting, and where we have an enemy who is continually at work trying to deceive and destroy and disintegrate your people, our marriages, our families, our churches, and our relationships. And I ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to hear and see your truth this morning, I pray. And I ask, Lord, that you would protect us and keep us from the enemy, from any opposition that he might bring, any distraction that he might use to try to bring against your word from going forth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would please open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to slip up your hand and one of our ushers would be happy to uh, drop one at your seat if you need one. So again, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning, beginning in verse 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. You know, in the introduction to his book, The Screwtape Letters, which chronicles a set of letters from a uh, senior demon named Screwtape to his junior underling demon, Wormwood, C.S. Lewis states a really profound and timeless truth. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race as humans can fall, 
as it regards the devil and his demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence at all. The other is to believe and yet and feel an excessive uh, and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the demons, are equally pleased in either, with, either of these. Both the errors of a materialist or one who does not believe in the spiritual realm at all or a magician, one who's overly fascinated by demons. And it's with the same delight that the demons uh, like uh, these, these two things. So I believe that in our day and age, the materialist, the enlightened, the scientific spirit of our age, we tend to be much more susceptible to the former error, which is, even though we say we believe in Satan's existence, in practice, we really don't. Yes, we, we do believe he's real, but we underestimate the extent of his opposition and the extent to which he and his minions are actively working against me and us and our progress in the faith. The extent to which he is actively affecting the affairs of the world. And I believe that he really loves it that way. He wants us to forget him, to underestimate him, or even misinterpret his influence as actually being something good. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen and 15 says that he masquerades or disguises himself actually as an angel of light. And his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So we need to be on guard. C.S. Lewis also states in another part of his book that there are actually two time periods that we should be focused on. And it's these two time periods that Satan and his demons like to try to distract us from. The first is eternity, the life to come, the new heaven and the new earth, the life for which we as Christians really look forward to and live for. The second is the present, the, the here and now. And Satan would want us to dwell on the mistakes and the regrets of our past. He would like us to focus on the fears and anxieties and distractions of our future. But he does not want us to look ahead to heaven. He does not want us to be focused on the present. But God's word is clear that we should be focused on being present in the here and now. And working out our salvation. uh, And strategically investing our lives and our actions in the here and now. So that we'll have the greatest impact on that eternal future that we look forward to. Verse 11 from our text, if you look back at it, states that the devil is scheming against us actively. Ongoing. This isn't something that just happened in the past. It continues. Schemes, by definition, are hidden with destructive and nefarious motives. Schemes are difficult to see, easy to go along with until one has gotten trapped in one and we look back in retrospect and see that we've been manipulated and often with painful consequences. If you look ahead to verse 12, it goes on to clearly identify our battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a real battle. It's going on even now. Our enemy, our opposition is not our spouse, it's not our children, not our neighbor, not the liberal or conservative, not flesh and blood. Our true enemy is spiritual, and he operates in spiritual and unseen and unseen places, and we must fight. Man, I want to stop here and say, we must take seriously the role of leading this fight in our marriages, in our homes, in our churches, in our communities. We are called to lead, to know our enemy, 
And our life's mission must first and foremost be to lead by example and protect those that we love in this battle. We all wear many hats, but the most important hat that we wear is as protector, spiritual protector of our families. For too long, we've, I feel, abdicated our spiritual leadership and in many ways left wives and children, sisters and mothers to fight this battle. Churches are filled with actively serving, faith-filled women. But where are the men? We need to understand that the enemy wants to neutralize us. He wants to emasculate us, convince us that we are either too weak and powerless to do any good or too strong and proud and self-reliant to actually humble ourselves to get involved in this. And he convinces us through distraction down a path of passivity, distraction by meaningless activities and busyness that have no eternal impact, and all the while leaving our loved ones and ourselves totally exposed and vulnerable to these unseen onslaughts from the enemy. Man, I'm calling you, Paul is calling you, calling us, and God is calling us to stand up today and fight. Now, verse 12 lists a pretty intimidating list of Satan's allies. And yet scripture makes it really clear that our enemy has, is no match for the Lord. According to Colossians 2.15, God has already disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And yet, they continue to battle against us and and, and our progress in the faith. And so we must fight on. Twenty years ago, I was given the book This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. Some of you may have read that book. I'm not 100% endorsing Peretti and his theology or him as a man, but I will say this. It opened my eyes to the spiritual battle that is taking place in the heavenly realms. It gave me an awareness of my need to be vigilant against sin and the schemes of Satan. But I'm sorry to say that as my faith has aged and matured in these 20 years, my life has become filled with more responsibility and distractions. Uh, I've become dulled, I think, to Satan's work around me. And I've reverted to much more humanist, materialist, naturalist ways of thinking and of living out my faith, disregarding the supernatural. And I've allowed busyness in my career, in my family, hobbies, interests, smartphones, news sites, Facebook, streaming movies, home projects, politics, fleshly desires and pride, all to distract me from this battle. And I'm here to confess to you today that I've been asleep at the wheel with my family, in my own personal life, and leading and loving my wife and family, allowing Satan to lull me into a sense of passivity, And I'm here to call all of you now to join me, men in particular, but everyone. We must lock arms to prevail in this battle. We cannot fight it on our own. Grandma's Marathon was run yesterday up in Duluth. And if you've ever watched a marathon run, the elite runners, it's an amazing thing. Five-minute miles, but they are all running in a pack because they need to push each other. It's important to run in a pack. When they get out ahead, they lose their momentum. And it's the same with with our walk. We need to run in a pack. Now, Satan is cagey. He knows what plays well. He's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Prowling is a key word there. He's quiet, hidden, ready to pounce when he sees opportunity, when we're distracted and we let our guards down. You know, I've heard many stories of missionaries who have witnessed amazing manifestations of Satan and, and demonic forces in foreign countries, but also radical deliveries by God and his, and his people. 
And Satan knows, I believe, that these manifestations play very well in cultures where there is a real awareness of, of the spiritual realm, and he wants to strike fear in the people uh, in, these, in these areas. But we seldom see these same manifestations in our rational Western societies. And why is that? I think he likes to keep a low profile. His work is best done in darkness and in a world that's skeptical of any spiritual forces uh, through secrecy and and through um, the spirit of the age. So our number one purpose here on earth is to expand the light and the influence of God's kingdom penetrating and piercing the darkness of our world that Satan has brought to it. There are millions and even billions today who are living in darkness, literally blinded, cannot see, even, even through their own efforts, cannot see that they're in bondage to sin. They're blinded by Satan. The Bible tells us that. They're perishing without the gospel. You know, it's interesting to me that in ages past, many of the great leaders of the church seem to be much more vocal and aware of the presence of Satan than we seem to be today, even though I would submit that there's much more activity going on today than there seemed to be back in those days. You take the Puritans, for example. I really admire their intent focus that they had on fighting sin and fighting against Satan, focusing on God's word, focusing on delight and joy in God, an earnestness, really, in, in enjoying God. We can learn a lot from them. There was a gentleman named Thomas Brooks who was a Puritan teacher and preacher back in England, lived in 1608 to 1680. And he wrote a book, an excellent book, called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. It was written based on the text of 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, where Paul states, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. By the way, you can get it on Kindle for 99 cents. I highly recommend it. Um, in his opening dedication of the book, Brooks states this. Listen closely to this opening sentence. Christ, the scripture, our own hearts, and Satan's devices are the four prime things that must be and should be most studied and searched. So let me read that one more time. Christ, two, the scriptures, three, your own hearts, and four, Satan's devices are the four prime things that should be most studied and searched. He goes on to say, Beloved, Satan has fallen from from light to darkness, fallen angel, from felicity to misery, from heaven to hell, from an angel to a devil, and is so full of malice and envy that he will leave no means unattempted, whereby he may make all others eternally miserable with himself. He's being shut out of heaven and shut up under the chains of darkness until the judgment of that great day, according to Jude 6. So he makes use of all his power and all his skill to bring all the sons of men into the same condition and condemnation that he himself is in. He wants to drag us down with him. Satan has cast such sinful seed into our souls that now he can no sooner tempt, but we are ready to assent. He can no sooner have a plot upon us, but he makes conquest of us. If he does but show men a little of the beauty and finery of the world, how ready we are to fall down and worship him. The final sentence, whatever the sin the heart of man is most prone to, that the devil will help him forward. Thus, it's really important we understand which sins we are most prone to 
and that we be on guard against those things. Uh, he then goes on to identify four categories of Satan's devices, listing several individual devices or means by which Satan tempts us, and then a list of remedies for each. So it's a very interesting and helpful book, the way it's structured. The categories he defines are, number one, Satan's devices to draw the soul to sin. The second is Satan's devices to keep souls from holy duties, hindered in holy service, keeping them off from performing service within the church. Number three, Satan's devices to keep saints in a sad and doubting, questioning and uncomfortable situation. And number four, his devices to destroy and ensnare all sorts and ranks of men in the world. Brothers and sisters, we must be vigilant against the schemes of the enemy. And I highly recommend this book for you in your fight. So to summarize where we've come so far, verses 10 through 12, we're called to be strong in the Lord and in his might, not in our own. We are to put on the whole armor of God, not part, but whole armor of God, to stand strong against the devil. And we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. Now, if it wasn't for verses 13 to 18, I think we'd have real cause to be depressed and fearful and scared. But praise God, we have, there's more to the story. Uh, As is in the case in so many of the key passages in Scripture, uh, Paul uses a word to start verse 13, which is a really important one, and it's therefore. So because of all these things, in light of all this, here's the source of our hope, therefore. Let's take a look verse by verse now at verses 13 to 18 at God's instructions through Paul of how we should be battling Satan. Verse 13 again. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. So now that he's established in verses 10, 11, and 12 that we clearly have an enemy and that we are to engage in combat against this enemy by taking up the whole armor both shields, protection, as well as offensive weapons. Uh, Why should we do this? Well, so that we may be able to stand in the evil day and to stand firm. Stand firm, unmoved, unswayed. The practice, this habit of putting on the whole armor of God is a daily habit that we need to have, necessary, so that we will be able to withstand in the evil day which in an earlier chapter of Ephesians, in chapter 5, he identifies this whole age in which we're living as evil days. So it's really for today. Yet the outbreak of Satan's onslaught against Jesus' followers seems to ebb and flow as time goes on, and it will until the final day when Christ returns victorious and in great glory. So let's go on to verse 14 then. Stand therefore, having fastened, on the belt of truth. There's another therefore. So Paul is furthering his logical argument here. Stand. Don't cower in fear. Don't sit in apathy. Don't lie down in laziness. But stand. Stand up to Satan. If you've ever seen the movie Luther, which was released back in the early 2000s, you may remember a scene where Martin Luther is battling with Satan Uh, I believe it was in the monastery, where he's outwardly speaking and uh, 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 trying to battle Satan through through verbal words. 
uh, he, he uh, was quoted at one point as saying, the best way to drive out the devil, if he will not yield to the scriptures, to the texts of scripture, it's to jeer and to flaunt him, for he cannot bear scorn. Luther was very aggressive and believed that rebuking Satan out loud actually had effect. And we know that Satan does not know our thoughts, but he certainly can hear our words and see our actions. Thomas More was another well-known Puritan, and he wrote, The devil, the proud spirit, cannot endure to be mocked. So he will flee from us. We are to go on the offensive against Satan in full confidence of the promises that we have in God's word. Let me just quote a few of those. 1 John 4.4 For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back again into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In 2 Corinthians 1.7 For God gave us a a spirit not of fear, but of love and self-control. Now, all of these are directed toward those who have placed their faith in Christ. And if you haven't done that yet, I highly recommend that you consider it. Pray about it. Ask God to open your eyes to the uh, the reality of the gospel. These protections all come for those who are in Christ. So when you've stood, buckle on the belt of truth. We must be filling our minds with truth. As the saying goes, garbage in, garbage out. Let's be diligent to filter all that comes to our minds through listening, reading, looking, seeing, and do everything possible to feed on as much truth as we can. How do we fill our minds with truth? Well, number one, far and away, is through God's Word. We need to be in God's God's Word. Uh, Read it. Listen to it. Sing it. Memorize it. Uh, You know, as, as distracting as a smartphone can be for me, I'm so thankful for a couple of the apps that I have that allow me to listen to God's word when I'm getting ready in the morning. Uh, The Fighterverse app from Desiring God, which makes memorizing scripture very doable and and actually fun. So God can use these tools uh, to help us in this pursuit. Number two, I would just say the teaching of your pastors is really important. Whom God has placed in charge to care for you as overseers of you and your soul. I just ask, make coming to to church a priority every week. Don't allow Satan to minimize the impact of being present at the gathering of believers on Sundays. Same with life groups. Participate in close fellowship with other believers through life groups. And finally, uh, the writings and teachings of other godly men and women. There are, especially nowadays, thousands of godly men and women that we can uh, seek input from. And I think after we've committed to the local body that God's put us in, certainly uh, seek out other uh, books, other podcasts, and other things that, that would encourage your soul. Now continuing on to the second part here of verse 14, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What vital organ does the breastplate protect? It's the heart the wellspring or source of life, according to Proverbs 4.23. So we must guard our hearts, and here we're being instructed to do it through righteousness, knowing and choosing to do the right thing. We can only do it by God's power, by God's grace. 
In our home, uh, we often ask ourselves and our kids, when there's conflict or disobedience or sin, is the way that you're thinking or I'm thinking, speaking or acting, is it more pleasing to God right now? Or is it more pleasing to Satan, do you think? And it's interesting that when we talk in those terms, especially when we think about the fact that what we're doing may be more pleasing to Satan, it has a real chilling effect on sin. I think it's important that we think in these ways. On to verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes for our feet. Readiness. Shoes help us to move and run faster. We should be ready to move, to travel, to walk, or to run uh, wherever the Lord may be calling us. Motivated and enabled by the gospel of peace. Our gospel, the good news of Jesus, is a gospel of peace. It's of gentleness, it's of kindness, concern. May we always present it in these ways. Let the law of God do the convicting of people's hearts, but uh, let us never deliver in a spirit of derision or superiority. The gospel is the light. It's the remedy to the darkness that we are encountering. It's the core of the core. It's our armor and our true weapon against with which we push back the darkness. On to verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield of faith... You know, we already have the breastplate of righteousness, kind of a static protection over our breast, over our heart. We have the helmet of salvation, uh, but we need, and we have the belt of truth, but we need an actively movable uh, shield, defensive shield of faith in our triune God, which enables us, in fact, to cry out, Abba, Father. And that is one of the best ways that we can put that shield in action, is to cry out to him. It allows us to extinguish the lies, the flaming darts of the enemy that would come at us. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith is strengthened by humble obedience. Faith is fortified by trusting in God to come to us in impossible situations, to come through and to help us uh, trust in him to deliver us and not in ourselves. And each step of faith that we take into these seemingly impossible situations will act to fortify our faith and and lead us on to the next step. Verse 17 tells us to take up the helmet of salvation. Now the helmet protects the head, the brain, the center of our thoughts, the nerve center of our body. We need to remind ourselves daily, even hourly, of the reality of our salvation and our eternal destiny. It's going to be through this protection of our minds by reminding ourselves and preaching the gospel to ourselves that we will be able to make wise choices that have uh, ultimate impact on our eternal future. It's so easy to get sucked into the day-to-day and making decisions that really have little eternal impact. And finally, uh, verse 17 on the uh, part B, the second part of that, that, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, we, uh, as we move to the offensive weaponry from the defensive parts of the armor, uh, you remember that Jesus, when he was in the desert for 40 days, fasting after he had been baptized, when he was tempted by the devil in the many different ways, uh, he used the word of God to counter Satan. 
Satan loves to take God's word and twist it, to use it in ways that it was not intended, to leave words out as he did in the Garden of Eden, or to add words as he did in the Garden. Well, we must be people of God's word, and we must know it. And here again, men, I would just challenge you, lead your wives and your families into the word of God. Every time you do, you are rebuilding a fortress of protection around your family. Every day that passes where we don't take up this mantle of responsibility to bring the word to our families, that fortress of protection crumbles around us. We cannot expect our families to go where we're not willing to lead. So we need to lead in love, lead sacrificially. Let's lay down our lives for our, our families and our loved ones in the body of Christ. Lead intentionally. Let's lead humbly. Finally, verse 18 finishes by saying, praying, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So we are to pray. This is kind of the culmination of all of this, is that Paul leaves us with this command to pray. How often? It says at all times. How are we to pray? In the Spirit. What exactly does that mean? Well, I think it means the opposite of praying in the flesh. We're not pray, praying at all, obviously, but we're not praying in the flesh, in our own strength, with perhaps a heart that's hard or that's far from God. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts and to keep it soft. We need to pray for the Spirit to do that work, only the work that God can do. We cannot uh, summon up enough uh, you know, internally for us to soften our own hearts. We just can't. We need God to do it. But I believe that he really loves and honors the prayer where we ask him to change it so that his spirit can and will rise up within us. He loves it when we ask uh, for, for the spirit to take over the territory of our hearts and minds. The battle in our hearts rages on, and it will be raging until the day we die. The old man's sin nature still lives within us and wants to fight against our new creation, uh, the new man within us, the new woman within us. Uh, but... The Holy Spirit uh, allows us to bear fruit if we ask him for them. He allows us to exhibit gifts of the Spirit if we ask him for them. So let's do that. And oh, by the way, the more that we do this, the more joy and peace and love and satisfaction we're going to experience in our lives. So it's a win-win. There's no reason not to. Men, let's be men of prayer. And it may take baby steps. I know my prayer life is not where I want it to be. But I think if we set aside specific time in our day on our busy calendars to spend time alone with God in prayer, uh, he will meet us. And then let's lead our wives and our children uh, into, uh, into this prayer along with us. And I'm confident that not a moment that we spend on this will be wasted. You know, in our 13 years of marriage, Mara and I have gone through lots of seasons in our prayer life together. Um, and, you know, as, as I've gone through, I, too many times I've failed to initiate prayer with my wife. Uh, I'm, you know, thankfully, as time passes and we go through these dry spells, rather than me giving up on it, God convicts my heart by his grace and I'm brought to a point where I, again, begin to initiate. And Marin graciously allows me to do that uh, without pointing out my failure. Um, but you know what's beautiful about it is whenever I do, uh, our marriage goes better. Marin feels more loved. 
I better understand the burdens that she's carrying and can lift them up to the Lord on, on her behalf and with her. Uh, she understands my burdens better, and our marriage just, just, just grows closer. Our family life goes better. Uh, our children are more settled. Uh, we see the results, and yet I fail to, fail to lead. I think there's great comfort that children derive from seeing mom and dad uh, praying for them and praying together uh, for them and with them. In our prayers, we know they do turn back the kingdom of darkness. So prayer is a critical part of our armor, and let's make use of it. We do not have because we do not ask. So I just want to come to a conclusion here with uh, a couple of words to, to uh, wives and single uh, ladies and uh, sisters in Christ here this morning. Uh, we men need you. We need your encouragement in this fight, in this battle. We need your prayers. For the Christian men in your life, whether it's your husband or your brothers in life group, your earthly father uh, and earthly brothers uh, who may be Christians, please use the, 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 the gift of words that God has given you to speak encouragement as well as to utter prayers uh, to, to the Heavenly Father. And children, are there any children here? Can you raise your hands, children? Are you listening? Good job. Thanks for listening. So, kids, I want to just give you one challenge this morning. God gives you one main responsibility in your life. Besides loving Jesus, there's one thing that he asks of you while you're young, before you leave your home and and go off and, and, and live your own life, and that is to honor and to obey your parents. You can be of great help to your daddy by helping him to love you the best he possibly can by honoring him and obeying he and your mom. Would you do that? All right. Thank you, Brady. I know you will. It's interesting that the final part of Ephesians 5 and the first part of Ephesians 6, which is just prior to this passage that we've taken a look at today, is all dedicated to matters of walking in love, of how wives should uh, honor their husbands and, and respect them, how husbands should love their wives, of how children and parents should interact. Uh, uh, fathers should not uh, exasperate their children. Children should obey and honor their parents. Uh, you know, it, it's no surprise that these are so closely linked because we cannot be in close fellowship with each other when sin is present. And so we need to be fighting against it. So there is a clear connection. So as we celebrate Father's Day, as we celebrate family on this day, let's remember to honor and obey our true Father, our Father in Heaven, Eternal Father, by following hard after Him and and obeying His commands. So in summary, we have an enemy. He continues to fight against us. He hates the advance of the kingdom of God against His kingdom of darkness. The gospel of peace, though, the word of God, is the sword that pierces that darkness. Paul assures us in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, that we can have victory. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let's be people of the gospel of peace. Let's take every thought captive to the best of our ability. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Let's speak the gospel freely to those around us. Let's make sure that our primary identity and purpose here on earth is to be 
part of God's greatest mission, which is to bring glory to himself by advancing his kingdom and defeating the kingdom of darkness. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we are not capable of the things that are asked of us in Scripture on our own strength. Lord, this passage about battling the enemy, uh, Lord, he is, uh, he is powerful. And yet, Lord, you are more powerful. And you are working within us. You have sealed us who are in Christ with your Holy Spirit. And we know that he who is in us is greater than he who is in this world. So help us to be aware of our enemy, but not fearful of him. Help us to fight, Lord, with everything that we have and to take this battle seriously, Lord. We need your blessing. We just pray you'd you'd rain it down on us today through your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.